when I have found myself in them, particularly if I don't know what's coming, I all of a sudden, like, am concerned about my posture and, like, how I look. And then I have, I don't know if you have this, I'll have, like, I can't stop, like, almost giggling because I, I feel like, oh, this is supposed to be really important, and I, I don't know how to do really important. And, and I, I feel like I should have an accent that's different than my own, or I should, like, handle it more properly. And this could happen in written form, too. There's been some birthday cards that I've gotten that I'm sure are just going to, like, kindly insult me. And then there's something really sweet written, and I'm thrown off and almost disappointed because I didn't receive it the right way in the right posture. I remember one time my brother wrote me a letter, and I was certain that it was just going to be funny and silly. And it was this really meaningful thing he wrote that I had to, like, put away, change the way I sat, and receive it differently because it was really meaningful. Now, when Paul's letter came to Philippi, I don't think anyone was like, oh, this is going to be, like, really silly. But this is the moment, the moment we're at today is the moment where, like, the real meaning comes in. The point of the letter is these next couple weeks. This is kind of where we would cue the soundtrack. And so to inherit that, I want you to just kind of shake your posture and get Make sure that you're ready for this, because this is really what I believe the, the meaning of what he wants to say is this week and next, and then implications are the rest. And all of that really matters too, but this is the real point. So kind of, let's, let's get ourselves a little ready. He begins with this phrase, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, occasionally for me growing up, I would hear this phrase, you're a Ness, now live like it. And I had no clue what that meant. But I also knew if I said I have no clue what this means, that would be even worse for me. So I thought it must mean that I'm supposed to stand taller or like lift heavy things or something like that. I didn't know exactly what it meant, but I think we all kind of know that to a different extent, right? We feel some like because of our name or because of where we grew up. Like, there's certain things that Minnesotans feel like we are. They're all kind of associated with we can survive winter. And like surviving winter kind of filters into everything that we do. We're, we're, we're hardy folk. We can handle this. We handled that blizzard in 86. We can certainly handle whatever today is. That, that's kind of the thinking. Or what school you went to, what state or region, what city you're from. There's expectations that come with that, and that's part of what Paul is talking about here. So this phrase, live in a manner worthy, it's, it's fine. I don't know of an easier way to translate that, but the root of the Greek word is talking about citizenship. The Greek word is talking about live as a citizen, and, and that kind of changes it a little bit, right? So in, in the time of Paul, in Rome, citizenship had a very distinct look. It was only open to free males. Those are the only people who could be citizens. And if we're honest about our country, it was only open to white landowning males. So a citizenship has been a limiting thing in, in our experience, in Rome, and in all of this. And there's certain rights and certain privileges 
that come with the citizenship. So in Rome, the rights were that you, if you were a free male, then you could have protection from unjust punishment. That's great, right? Unless you're not a free male. Or then unjust punishment you're not protected from. That's concerning. You have the right to appeal your case to Caesar. So if, if somebody else says that you did something wrong but you didn't, and you get convicted of that, you can appeal to Caesar. But if you don't have the rights of citizens, then there's no appeal. Whatever that lower boss said goes. The third one, at the time, was a little less relevant because you had to be in Rome to exercise it, but you had the right to vote. Not, not on, on the Caesar, but on, on, on lower things. You had a right to vote if you got your way to Rome, which not everybody did. But those were the main rights of, of a free male citizen of Rome. And then there were some privileges that only the free males got. These privileges were like you could own property. So like the land that your garden was or your house was, if you were a free male, you could own that. If you were not, then even if it was given to you, you didn't own it. You had to rent it or find a way to, to make it happen. If you were a citizen, you could be legally married, and your children would be legally recognized. That's a really big deal. But again, if you're not a citizen, then your marriage isn't legal. It counts, but it's not legal. And your kids were born and exist, but they're paperless. They're not really counted. The courts are available to you, the civil courts. They work in your favor. And then there's the privileges that, that Paul experienced in prison, like he got visitors. He apparently wasn't unjustly punished, though he was beaten in 10,000 different ways. He was able to preach and write letters and all those kind of things. Those are part of the privileges that he had. And for us, it's, it's worth pausing and counting what our rights and privileges are in this country, right? Who has them? Are our rights and privileges inconsistent among citizens here? Maybe we, many of us, have citizenship, but does it look the same for all of us? I think it would take about 12 seconds for us to say, no, it doesn't look the same. I mean, CNN just reported on that this week, right? We got a report, uh, I think it was Wednesday, on LMPD and the De Department of Justice looking, and, and the actions of LMPD differ depending on our hue, our skin color, our race, our ethnicity. They, they found facts on this, that your citizenship was secondary. And we see this in other areas. I've met some new friends through working with Pastor Rob at Goodwill, new friends who, who don't have homes, and uh, they're citizens, but their rights look different. Their privileges look very different. And the, these kind of situations make me ask the question, who gets rights and who gets privileges? And what is our Christian response to these realities? We're not going to try to solve all this today. 
But I will tell you now that we're working on a, a project for us, a two-week project this summer. On June 25th, I know this is far out, but we're planning now, folks. That, that's progress, right? June 25th, we are talking about privilege in the morning. Uh, in our sermon, we're going to talk about when Paul is in Philippi and, and how he exercises privilege on behalf of others. That night, we're going to have a slow invasion where we do an asset map of our own privilege. Everybody in this room has privilege to different levels. And so how are we going to talk about that? How are we going to become aware of what that privilege actually is? And then on July 2nd, we're going to have some brunches around ideas of how to actually and practically leverage our privilege on behalf of other people in our community. And so we have it that far off because we want to do it well. And we're going to work hard on doing that, but I hope that you're around for that stretch as we talk about this a little further. It comes from Paul's experience in Philippi and also from this verse we're looking at today. But for Paul, he's writing to some people who are Roman citizens. Some of the people who receive this are citizens. They're free male. He's writing to some who are slaves. And he's writing to some who today would be called stateless. And this is something like we should be aware of, right? Somebody who does not have citizenship, so they do not have legal rights or privileges in any state. That's who some of these people are that Paul is writing to. There's no citizenship, or if there is, there is citizenship just to like a, a city that then was colonized by Rome, and so that citizenship just doesn't matter anymore. This is like what happens when a region in a country is overtaken by another country and they're not given citizenship in the new country and their old citizenship just doesn't matter anymore because there, there's a lack of authority and power. We can get into this all sometime if, if you'd like. But he's writing to this whole collective of people and, and I want to argue that what he is saying in, in English, what he's trying to say to us is conduct yourself like heavenly, not Roman, citizens, worthily of the gospel of Christ. You see, Paul's not appealing to anyone's Roman citizenship because not everyone has it. He's writing to everyone who will hear him, everyone who's a part of the church of Philippi, but not everybody's a Roman citizen. And so he's, he's leveraging this Roman citizenship for a higher one. He's appealing to the good news that everyone has a homeland with God. Everyone has rights and privileges with God. Now there's a resource page that's going to be up tomorrow about eternal life and about heaven and, and all of these kind of things that we uh, talked a little bit about last week. It's, it's in here again with this heavenly citizens. But the one thing I want you to keep in mind is that we often think of heaven as this future place we're going to go. Right? That we hope we have uh, it, it's like a vacation place we've never been, and we're going to go live there forever. But maybe a more, more true way to think of it is heaven is the space where God dwells. And we will dwell, but everything is to be where God dwells, right? Like, it, it's not so separate from earth. It's not so just future tense. It, it's to be experienced now as well. And there's more on, on that page if you want to look at that. But here what we're talking about is conduct yourself 
like a citizen of the place where God dwells, like a heavenly citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is the place that gives us our driver's license and our birth certificate, our passport. This is the place that the law that we serve under All of those kind of things are what's assumed in this citizenship. In talking about what this looks like most, Paul writes about unity. The most defining factor of this citizenship is unity, which I think is really interesting of all the things that it could be, that it's unity. It does make sense because people are coming from everywhere, all these different cultures, experiences, practices, were to be one, and that's what Paul writes. Look at it here. Whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Now, he's not saying that we should be like brainwashed or droned. He's not saying that whoever has the microphone is going to say what we all believe and vote and act on, and then we go do the exact same things in lockstep. That's not what he's saying. He's saying from our experiences, from our backgrounds, from our understanding of God and the world, we meet together for the sake of unity. And we have one mind. No, we're going to be united. We're going to acknowledge one another. We're going to see each other, care about each other, love each other, Leverage what we have on behalf of one another. That's what this unity looks like. We're going to live as if there's enough for Jesus and enough for me, as if he cares for you and he cares for me, and there's not like nobody's going to be left without a chair. That's this kind of unity. And then he starts to describe what this privilege of citizenship looks like. And the the word is privilege. Look at this with me. For he graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. There's a privilege to believe, and that I think we would say, amen. And then there's a privilege to suffer, and at that our record will... Like, what? I don't want that second privilege. Maybe you do. I don't want that one. Now, understanding this type of citizenship is just, it's a challenge for us. It is. Because much of how we understand our rights in this country is that we have individual people and we leverage as much of our privilege as we can to avoid suffering. And what we see here is the exact opposite. Any bit of privilege I have, any bit of resources I have, I don't want to suffer. Even if it means like my pillow's bad. I want a new pillow. Like I, 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 that's just how I do it. And one of the challenges of living within the United States at this time, particularly if we are white or if we are middle class or above, is that we can believe the deception that we can live in a way that is just slightly outrunning suffering. Just slightly. But I've learned the last couple of years, it's, it's not just white folks. It is white folks. But it's any bit of money, any bit of authority, we start to think, maybe I can outrun this. 
And maybe I can collect it, and then my kids can outrun it. And then maybe they can collect it, and, and we can assure that we can outrun suffering. Science, technology, advancement, self-protection, they have provided great gifts. I'm grateful for science. I'm grateful for technology. I have a nose because of all of that, right? I'm grateful. And yet, they also lead to some deception that we can outrun this stuff. And even if we could outrun it, our faith requires otherwise. See, with suffering, Paul is not talking about the suffering of all kinds. He's not talking about living in a decaying world. He's not talking about storms. He's not talking about sickness. At other points, we see that in Scripture. And it's a valid thing to talk about. How do we live faithfully as we suffer? That's a valid thing. But what we're talking about here is something much more specific. He's saying it's a privilege to suffer for Jesus. It's a privilege to suffer for Jesus. Now, martyrdom is not the goal. It's been misunderstood at different times. Not really today, but at different times there's been this thing of like, hey, I just want to go get martyred. I want to be killed for Jesus, and that's, that assures me a spot. No, that, that's, that's a weird way to live. And we don't necessarily believe in martyrdom, but sometimes we'll be like, oh, I, I just want to like look a little bit like I'm sacrificing and look a little <laughs> frail and sick for Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. Paul's writing, actually, the way that we have talked here, he's talking in a very emotionally intelligent way here. He's he's talking a little bit like like he's gone through spiritual direction or something. Look at what he says later in the letter in uh, Philippians 3. He writes, If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more circumcised on on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I haven't always known what to do with this list. I, I haven't known. I, I, sometimes I'm like, is he bragging? Is, is he doing one of those conversations where it's like, when I was a kid, I walked uphill to school both ways in snow with no shoes, chasing cows. You know, like, is he doing one of those? It, did, he, did he reach that age where you start telling those stories? And maybe. But when I read through these words this week, I felt like he was doing the work of naming what was lost. Naming the things he once had, that once really mattered, that gave him standing in a room that just don't matter anymore. The things that he worked hard to earn, that now he's like, I didn't have to work that hard. The time he spent trying to faithfully follow God to only find out that he didn't need to do all of that. And so trying to make sense of what he went through. You see, he spent a lot of time doing everything right to get to the top of the culture of his day. And then he chose to throw it all away. 
because of the value of knowing Jesus. But in that, there's still loss. Right? There's still those years that aren't worthless, but we don't really know how to describe them. The striving that he did that he no longer has to do, but it's complicated. The people he once really mattered to who now mock him, that's loss. There's suffering there. He lost relationships. He lost years. He suffered pain and abuse, ridicule. He had comfort, and now he's in prison. And when he's not in prison, he's just place to place. And, and like sometimes to me, it sounds awesome that he's going on like these little adventures all the time, but I bet like on a regular Tuesday, it didn't feel like an adventure. I bet sometimes it felt like, man, I, I, I wish I had like a home. Man, I miss when I had some stability. And it wasn't great, and I was off, but I gave up a lot. I don't think he's regretting. I think he's acknowledging to a people who might still want what he had. He's saying, hey, I had it all. And I gave it up. And I don't regret giving it up. But there was a cost to it. I lost. And he's doing this because his friends are experiencing the same. They have lost. They're facing opposition. Discouragement comes in naturally at this point, right? But Paul's pointing out that this is a sign of their salvation. The fact of the opposition means that they're living as citizens in another land. So a few years ago, uh, Martin and Susan introduced me and other people within this church to some of their friends at the Turkish American Friendship Center. And uh, I remember I got to go to to one of their celebrations, breaking the fast of Ramadan, and, and met some beautiful people. A couple of them have actually, one or two have come and worshiped here with us. And um, it's been an incredible watching these Turkish friends of, of Martin and Susan and Matt and Coralie, and, and some uh, Eric, Schulze, and Whitney, like others within this group, have become friends with this community and, and learn from this community. And uh, last week, Matt and I were. We're sitting in my house and talking, and he reminded me that Ramadan's starting, and he reminded me of the story of some of the people in this center. He said something that his organization, Crescent Project, does, where they pack these little blessing kits for people. And though our faiths are not the same, these women and these men and these children who are at the Turkish American Friendship Center have suffered for their faith. They've lost a lot. Some of this conversation about citizenship. They know what much, I'm, I'm talking theory. They know what it's like to be stateless. They know what it's like to have a profession in another country to come here and have that profession no longer recognized. They know what it's like to live in danger because of the way you express your faith or who you follow, whose voices you listen to. And as they prepare to celebrate this holy period, they're faithfully seeking God at the same time holding this loss. That's hard to do. I have a lot to learn from these friends. And so just letting you know, next week after church, we're going to pack some, some blessing kits for these friends. We're going to take a little bit of time and pack together some 
uh, everything will be here, but pack together some tea and some dates and some candies. We're going to have little cards that we can sign to give. To, there's 35 families who are going to be gifted these, and we'll just take a little bit of time together to do this and then just gift them to our friends because they're our neighbors. Because we're, we're walking through life together, though our faiths might look different. There's a lot to, to learn and appreciate about where they've been. The details of this is to pack all of those kits together will cost $175. If you want to be a part of that, if you want to take part and help pay for some of that, let me know. Um, we're going to do it outside of the church budget because this is just a fun project we get to do, okay? So if you want to be a part of that, let me know. If you want to just help pack it, plan on staying an extra 10, 15 minutes after church next week, and we're going to pack those together. And it's a way for us, again, to recognize what our friends have gone through and how they've lived faithfully and have suffered loss at the same time. I hope it's a way that we can learn from them. I hope it's a way that we can be inspired by them. And maybe even a deeper friendship can spread broader. I know several of us have deep friendships there, but maybe even a little broader. And if I said anything wrong, Martin will tell me and then we'll correct it. And Nope, I didn't. Okay, good. So back, back to this. As, as we're in Lent, preparing to celebrate Good, good Friday and Easter, it makes sense that we pause a little bit and feel this invitation ourselves. We are given the privilege of faith. That's worth reflecting on. We get to live by faith. But with that, we're given the privilege of suffering, not meaninglessly, but for the sake of Jesus. And if you've suffered for Jesus, If you've lost things, if you've given, stretched yourself thin, wandered and wondered if you're doing this right, I I want you to know that it's been noticed, it's been seen by Jesus, what you've gone through, the ways that you've been misunderstood. It's okay if it doesn't first feel like a privilege. But in light of all that Jesus has done, in light of what we experience of God, I can see why Paul chose to name it that. See, the trouble with this citizenship outside of God's kingdom is that there's nothing that I can do as just a citizen of a nation in this world but leverage that citizenship for me and mine. I can place blame on other people. That's about it. But what we find in God's way of living is that we get to live with a unity. We get to seek faith, even embracing what we've lost along the way. We get to come next to one another, hear one another's story with empathy and care and compassion, and go to Jesus together knowing knowing that the grace is that we're loved by the one who suffered, loved by the one who understands knowing that he has overcome and invited us to do the same. You see, around this, we get to stand as one. So no one suffers alone. 
And in this world flipped upside down kind of way, we find Jesus, we find life, we find community, we find a privilege that we didn't know that we desired. And as we press into this, and as we have the courage to name what we've lost along the way, and, and have the courage to look to Jesus and see that it has been a privilege, we will find resurrection. We'll find life. Even when there's been loss. I know this because I've experienced this. I know this because I've sat still and made my list and named it and cried and felt the healing presence of a God who's faithful. He met me, and I'm not all that special. You just like me. And so I invite us all to do the same. I want to pray and invite you to pray with me, okay?